0: When you have to go and disagree with somebody, I think there's wisdom in deciding when and how you do that. Mm-hmm. I, I've always said that you, you can say anything you want to to anybody you want to say it to. You just have to be careful when and how you say it. Mm-hmm. it that really holds true in this. I, I can disagree with people. I can strongly disagree and still be able to treat them as a person and separate them from from the issue that that we disagree on instead of trying to internalize that problem to them.
1: Welcome back to The Leaders We Need. I'm Joel Harder. The year is off to a quick start, and it's crazy to say we're already approaching mid-March. The Capital Culture team is hard at work with the opening of the legislative session, engaging leaders and shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership, Each year, Capital Culture facilitates the Oklahoma Governor's Prayer Breakfast. This event gathers thousands of Oklahomans in Oklahoma City and at host sites across the state. We set politics aside. We look beyond the issues and the differences of opinion for how to address them and find there is common ground through a shared desire for all in Oklahoma to thrive If you missed the Oklahoma Governor's Prayer Breakfast, you can go to our website, capitalculture.com, and just click on the button at the top of the page that says Prayer Breakfast. You can learn more about that event and watch the full 2022 Prayer Breakfast available now. Today on the podcast, let's continue with the focus on wisdom and leadership. My guest today is Representative Jeff Boatman. He represents District 67 in Tulsa, He is in his second full term and is now in his fourth legislative session. Representative Boatman is a great example of the diverse backgrounds making up the state legislature. He spent 30 years in the telecommunications, technology industries, and he's worked for a number of companies and started a few of his own. He told me about his path to the legislature. Seeing the challenges and elevated conversations around a number of issues, particularly education, he believed he had something to offer these conversations and chose to run. I asked him about it and what he thinks about wisdom in leadership. Well, let's get to my conversation with Representative Jeff Boatman now on The Leaders We Need. Capital culture has enabled a different and a new atmosphere in state politics. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Well, Representative Boatman, thank you so much for joining the Leaders We Need podcast. Is it okay if I call you Jeff for our conversation today?
0: It absolutely is, and thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here.
1: Well, I've been looking forward to having this conversation. I've gotten to watch you and observe you and see you come into the legislature and really move very very much into places of both working alongside colleagues and also leading. And I would love to just to hear a little more of your story and the journey that led you to running for office. I usually like to say, what was that thing that put you over the edge and decide I'm gonna actually run for office? We always start with everybody who comes on the leaders we need, asking you to go back into your history a bit and think back on maybe the experiences or the people that, Really shaped you as a leader in particular, or how you approach leadership. And maybe at the time you didn't know or recognize that that's what was happening, but in retrospect, it really was formative.
0: Well, so as I, as I think back and think about people, I have to start with my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, mom and dad were very influential and probably didn't realize how much until later in life. And they were, they were influential for different reasons. Mom was an incredibly powerful compassionate kind and caring person now she could get fired up if you if you crossed her she she was spirited but even if you crossed her and she was fired up mom mom would see somebody with a need and even be mad at them and would still be compelled and, and put the priority on meeting that need and being there with that person so i spent a lot of time as a kid riding around with mom delivering meals to people or sitting with people or uh, she had a a ministry. She would uh, sit with people who were in the hospital. She was just always there and it was a priority. And, and to me, that's leadership. Even Mm -hmm. though it's behind the scenes, we like to think of leadership as out front a lot of times. Oftentimes it's not oftentimes the, the putting the priority on people and leading in those Behind-the-scenes job is absolutely essential, and I didn't realize how important that was until much later in life when when I got put into management and leadership positions. My dad was was equally influential, but different. Dad was uh, Dad was in management. He at his company. He uh, he was in, in the military prior to that. And he was a leader in our church, one of the deacons. But he was always one of those guys. He didn't say much. He kind of embodied that old adage of kind of the less you say, the more you're heard. Yeah, and so he good. would sit quietly in meetings. Uh, if he spoke up, the room got really quiet because it didn't happen often and people wanted to hear what he had to say. And he accomplished more in one-on-one conversations, talking to people, again, putting that focus on what others had to say and on, on that person. Than on trying to be out there and be the loudest part, voice in the room, yeah. and and I think that was influential.
1: What are some of the events or experiences that were very impactful?
0: You know, I think owning a small business was probably the most impactful thing to me from a leadership standpoint. I had been in big companies before. I'd been in management positions and large organizations, and you make decisions that impact people's lives on a day-to-day basis. You just do both customers and, and employees with inside the business. That never got driven home to me until some friends and I started a small business and the people whose lives you were impacting yeah you had to look them in the eye every day because there weren't that many of them and there wasn't a very big office. And sometimes we had five or six of us in an office. And so we had to interact much more closely with the people that we were leading. They became very good friends and seeing the impact in their lives on a day to day basis really made me stop and think about what kind of leader do I want to be? And what kind of decisions do I want to make? And that was, almost 20 years of doing that. But yeah. but it was a, over that time, I learned an awful lot about working with and leading people.
1: I've lived a couple different places um, over the course of my life. I've lived in cities smaller than Oklahoma City. I've lived in major metropolitan urban areas. But since coming to Oklahoma, I have paid attention and noticed that there really is kind of a, an ecosystem of entrepreneurship and a willingness and a desire, or just I'm going to go out there and launch something. It's kind of a neat thing. I just didn't pay much attention to. Walk me through that a little bit. Like, What what, what does it feel like to say, maybe you've got an idea for a company, for a business, and take that step and do that?
0: Working has always been part of who I am and what I do. Even at a very young age, mom and dad very much encouraged me to have summer jobs and part-time jobs. And I'd mow yards before I was old enough to work. And and so finding a way to pay for the things that I wanted to have. And then as I got older, the things I, I needed to have has just always been part of the way I was raised. So from the time I was pretty young, I have tried to start out and do companies. And I, I think the first one that I tried to do with a friend was in 1990 or 1991, and I, we didn't really know what we were doing. Yeah. We didn't know how to run a business. We didn't know how to sell. We were pretty good technicians on, on computer stuff. It was a learning experience. I went to work for other companies, and I did that for several years and, and learned the things yeah. that I that I didn't have. But there was always that desire to build something. I can't sing. can't write poetry. I cannot paint but I can kind of create, I love to write software and create, you know, something out of nothing there. And I love to take an idea and kind of nurture it into a company and provide jobs for people and services for customers. And just, there's just a certain satisfaction in knowing that you got that done.
1: Yeah. So now walk me down your your road a little bit. What was that thing? Maybe it was a ambition in your own mind or a need, a challenge, a struggle you could see? What was it that put you over the edge and decide to to run for office and to serve in the state legislature?
0: Well, in 2017, the company that I I talked about earlier, the the partners and I, we had built it kind of to the level that we thought we could take it. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to sell that company have a transaction uh, we, we had a private equity company that bought out a majority of our interest we stayed in uh, but we felt like the only way to grow that company to the next level was to take that next step and, and i agreed to work for the acquiring company for a while and, and i did that for a couple of years but they always are going to grow their own management team and things so right. i helped them through that transition and as I was doing that, I, was, I had been blessed. We'd had a good transaction on that company. I'd been able to do some things for large companies and some companies that went public before. So the, the Lord just really blessed us. And I, I wanted an opportunity to give back. And I've always kind of been interested in public service. And so I started kind of looking around and talking to some friends that when I make big decisions, I kind of bounce ideas off of and ask them to think through it with it and pray through it with me. And that was about the time that we were having the big discussions about public education. Uh, We had the teacher walk out a little bit prior to that. And it was a big part of the conversation in Oklahoma. And I just felt like I could add to that conversation. I I felt like that the business experience that I had, kind of understanding investments and growth, I felt like I could help. And that was kind of the triggering. That that was the year I, I ran and actually filed on... I think the filing deadline in April and, you know, had a primary contest to win in, in June. So yeah. it, it was kind of a baptism by fire doing it that way, but it was, it was a good decision.
1: Yeah. And in Oklahoma, of course, it's a citizen legislature. It is, um, you can't call it a part-time job, but it is a part-time legislature. It's interesting to me when I look at the makeup of the house in particular, but the house and the Senate, oftentimes you think of, elected legislators, lawmakers. And and of course, I think a a lot of people do go to law school with a thought one day they'd want to be a lawmaker. But as I look at the makeup of the Oklahoma legislature, it's a really diverse body of elected representatives from a range of backgrounds and experiences, business, business ownership, A lot of educators, I I remember the teacher walkout well, where we're sitting right now. You know, we don't live that far from the Capitol. And I remember those two weeks very, very well. And a number of educators uh, ran for office, motivated around the similar conversation, but it's a very diverse group. Do you see that? How how does that diversity of backgrounds inform or change the dynamic of the deliberations and the legislative process from your perspective?
0: It is a pretty diverse group, and, and it's surprising that it is because it is difficult. It's, it, it is a part-time legislature. It, it, you're gracious to not call it a part-time <laughs> job because we joke it's kind of the most you know life-consuming part-time job you're ever going to have. because right. You can stay as busy as, as you want to stay on this as many months out of the years as, as you can. And it's not a job that most people can make a year-round living on. Um, and so you end up with a lot of folks that need a career yeah. May through July or January, right? And then they need to be in Oklahoma City in full time in the legislature February through May. And that's that's difficult to yeah. find those positions. And so it is, uh, I think it's kind of a testament to the men and women who serve in the legislature that they're able to do that. You have a few old retired guys like me that, you know, it's a little bit easier, but we have young members with young families yeah. that are away from them for, you know, the week at a time while they're up here serving. And it is a testament to those folks that, that we do have the ethnic and age and career and background diversity in the the House and Senate that we do have.
1: Yeah. I, I, it, I noticed that immediately when I came into the Capitol and started working with the legislature. That that diversity is there. Well, I want to begin to transition and dive into the theme that we're Focusing on with the podcast this season. But before I do, as we sit here recording, we are in the midst of the Winter Olympics. And I've got to just simply ask Are you watching the Olympics? Do you like, enjoy the Olympics? And I'll go ahead and preface We love it. (laughs) My girls love it. So, but I'm curious.
0: I love the Olympics. I haven't been watching yeah. just because we went straight into session and we had a lot of stuff the week before. Yeah. I just haven't had time to watch. I had a great opportunity this last summer. I was in Salt Lake City for an event and got to meet the the U.S. downhill skiing team. Oh, really? Several members of the team and the coach. And so I've I've asked my wife, and she's she's a she's great to take care of this for me, but she's got their events DVR'd for me because it's just kind of a personal touch, but I love winter Olympics, honestly, more than summer Olympics. Mm -hmm. Um, they're really, I don't get curling. I try, (laughs) but I don't get that one. But, Almost every other sport I love to sit and watch, and I'll watch curling because it's competitive and it's a sport. But I don't totally get it, yeah. just to be honest.
1: Well, I did watch some interviews with uh, with former uh, Olympic curlers. There's actually a lot of various skills that go into into that sport. Well, just a day or so ago, I was uh, having a conversation for the podcast with Representative Dolenz, uh Mickey Dolins, and you know he was on the U.S. bobsled team, and so it's cool to hear you had the opportunity to meet the downhill skiing team because yeah, that kind of changes the way you watch it. And I I asked him the same question and, and there's still some folks on the team that were there when he was there. And so that personal touch.
0: And I have all the respect in the world for representative Dollins. We were up there at the training center and got to go down uh, the bobsled track. They, they will allow, you know, you, you have one driver that knows what he's doing and yeah. then three people that are just holding on for their lives. <laughs> and, and I got to do that and all the respect in the world. And by way of disclaimer, all the respect in the world for the curling team as well. Yeah, Th- those yeah, yeah. are amazing athletes and it takes them a lot of competition.
1: One of the reasons why I love the Olympics and I'm really excited because, you know, I've got an eight year old and a six year old. The Summer Olympics, this was a weird year because of COVID. They're just right back to back. But my girls just loved every minute of it. We watched every night and we we are again, one of the best experiences of my life was serving in a role at an organization where I managed all of our global partnerships. And we had partnerships in Central Asia and Eastern Europe. And I always said one of the healthiest things I did every year was leave this country, just to get out of uh, the context and the tunnel vision you can get only looking at the world through the lens of the priorities of this one culture, this one country context and get to just see the world from a different point of view. And you know, when you watch the parade of flags, you can just, all of that's there. And so I love that my girls are, are eating it up and I hope one day to be able to take them overseas and give them those experiences. Cause it just changes the way you look at both the good things in our world, but also the areas where we don't agree or have challenges. Learning to be able to see it from a different culture, different background, different perspective is so powerful.
0: It absolutely is. I mean, one of the, I guess, three of the people that have really been impactful in my lives have are actually friends that my daughter made in college. Mm -hmm. Um, She was in a dorm and there just happened to be athletes from the, she was at university of Tulsa and they were on the tennis team. Uh, And one was from Poland. uh, One was from Kazakhstan. And then they had another young lady in there that that was from Oman. And, Mm -hmm they were a long way from home and they were here during the holidays and universities kind of closed down. So we just kind of adopted them and yeah. have, we got to go over to so Marcelina and Yelena and Hadil, if, if you hear this podcast, love you guys a lot and appreciate you because we got to go over for Marcelina's wedding to Poland and uh, just got to interact with their parents. And so they see our culture, a little bit more differently because they've actually got to engage in and have relationships there. And then we've been able to go and engage with them in their home countries. And that's, that's just been amazing. So
1: let's transition a bit into this concept of wisdom. One of the greatest things that you can want in life and certainly want in leadership and as a leader is to be wise. As I've studied leadership, this podcast is completely built around believing leaders matter and, and really trying to learn and hear the stories of leaders and how you approach your task and your work. I would love to really look at this idea of wisdom in leadership. To begin with, what's your definition of wisdom or how would you describe it, particularly when, when you're applying wisdom to, to being a leader? Or making decisions.
0: Well, so the easy on answer on that one, mind mind, is Proverbs, right? Yeah. And Proverbs tells us that that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. Um, and and fear there is not the idea of terror or right. being afraid, but of having a reverence and a respect and listening to the precepts and the principles that God gives us. And and I think that's where wisdom starts. So. There are a lot of issues that, that we have to deal with on a daily basis that we like to frame as gray. And there are gray issues, but there are also a lot of things that are very black and white. And the Bible gives us very good answers for those. And where it doesn't give us answers, it gives us principles that we can apply. For me, wisdom is instead of trying to figure it out myself, go to the truth and try to understand how that of truth would apply in the situation that I'm looking at. And that's going to get you a better answer and it's going to be more complete and easier actually yeah. than just trying to sort through things and figure it out on your own. And I think that's kind of where wisdom starts and that ought to hit anything that we do from a leadership
1: standpoint. Yeah. There is a capacity within us to grow in wisdom and to grow wise. And there's the experiences of our life shape us and make us particularly able to approach certain challenges. I think from a counseling perspective and kind of neurobiology, when when you've navigated a difficult road or difficult challenge or situation, you become uniquely able to help someone else through it. And we have that capacity within us, but also recognizing that we're limited within ourselves and, and to have places to go. Do you have any particular role models or people or examples that when you look at that person and say, now there's an example of someone who has led wisely.
0: I do. And and because right now my, my main role in life is in the house and in politics, I think of political leaders right yeah. now. I've, we had asked this interview 10 years ago. I may have a different group, but right now I, I look to great political leaders and I'm, I'm a big fan of Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. And, and I think president Reagan came in at a, at a difficult time there were a lot of things to work through and deal with. He was wise enough to recognize that he didn't have support everywhere. And so he reached across the aisle and fostered relationships. He reached into agencies and fostered relationships. He reached into business. He was just wise in the relationships that he put together. And then Again, there were a lot of things to take on, but he took a very methodical and planned approach to him, and he kind of kept a sense of humor about the whole thing. And, yeah. and and I think sometimes you know being able to laugh at yourself is a little bit of wisdom. Um, as I look at more contemporary leaders right now, I have a lot of respect for our speaker, mm-hmm. Speaker McCall. Um, he is measured and reasoned and sensible and very wise and in, in everything that he does he he's just very careful very methodical and doesn't get ahead of his caucus and his members doesn't get ahead of himself takes things very slowly and carefully and i just have all the respect in the world for him he's a great in my mind example of mm-hmm. of how you do what he does in, in leading the house of representatives
1: probably a year and a half ago he was on the podcast, and I just loved getting to ask and hear him talk about. I mean, that role as speaker is a unique position.
0: It's an interesting role to watch, and as as much as I love and respect my my fellow legislators, it it's a group of strong personalities. Yes. I mean, you've got to think that everybody that sits in that chair put their name on a ballot and went out and knocked doors and campaigned for that. There's fairly strong personalities there, and he manages that. Very fairly and very well. A lot of respect for Speaker McClain.
1: Le- leading leaders is a <laughs> is is a challenge in of itself. Where do you go for wisdom?
0: Well, I mentioned scripture. I I, I think that's gonna always be the foundation. I mean that's that I've I've had that relationship with Christ and 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 his word in my life for many years now, and that's always gonna be foundational. But the difficulty is sometimes you'll find something that the Bible doesn't speak to directly, yeah. and and then wh- what do you do there? And I've just made it a practice to have people that that I trust that'll hold me accountable if if I do get it wrong. They don't mind just sometimes with love, sometimes you know bluntly speaking into my life that hey this that's not it. But, but I've got a group of guys that I will go to anytime I have a big decision. Um, they're going to get a text, they're going to get a call, or I'm going to want to go sit down and have coffee with them. And, and there's it's not a huge group, it's five or six guys, but I reach out to them on a regular basis uh, when I have big decisions to make. When I, when I started to run for office, didn't take step one until I had mm-hmm. visited with and talked to each and every one of them. And then... You know, God's blessed me with an amazing wife who who's very thoughtful and very wise in her in her own right she's she's a great thinker and we approach problems very differently which has made us strong over the years because I see it from one direction and she sees it from another and when we see the same thing then we kind of have an idea that that's that's probably a pretty yeah. good way to get there so
1: well as a legislator and navigating the Policy making process. It is a regular occurrence experience that you have to navigate situations where people don't agree. Where does wisdom come in to those moments, particularly as a legislator?
0: It certainly comes in when you kind of decide which fights to fight mm-hmm. or which when you pick your battles. That's uh, cool. yeah. and, and fights are wrong. That's probably a wrong word there. I'm really happy in our legislature, we don't really fight. We disagree. We don't always see things the same way, but we don't have the kind of gridlock and, and strictly partisan battles that, that you see in other areas. Our, our members generally can sit down even if we strongly disagree and have a reasonable conversation and work things out. So I, I hate to use the word fight, but you, but you have to pick which issues you're going to stand on and pursue and which ones, maybe it's not the right time. Maybe those could wait for a little while and come back to. And then once you've kind of picked the ones that you're going to go out and pursue and the debates that you're going to have and the the ones that you're going to really try to get done when you have to go and disagree with somebody, I think there's wisdom in deciding when and how you do that. Mm -hmm. I've always said that you, you can say anything you want to to anybody you want to say it to you just have to be careful when and how you say it. it that really holds true in this. I, I can disagree with people. I can strongly disagree and still be able to treat them as a person and separate them from the issue that we that we disagree on. Instead of trying to internalize that problem to them.
1: I want to say what you just said again and see if I can get it get it right. There was some wisdom you just dropped right there. You can say anything you want to say to anyone you want to say it to, you just have to be wise about when and how to say it.
0: I believe that. I believe that's correct.
1: What's the key to when and how to say it?
0: The when, you have to find the time when the person that you're going to if confront is the right word, if this is if it's going to be a confrontational thing or a potentially confrontational thing, you have to find a time when they can have the conversation well. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times in personal relationships, whether it's in friendships or, or marriage, a lot of times we'll be frustrated with somebody and we've thought about it all day and yeah. we've had, we've molded over in our heads and I've, I've, had both sides of the argument for a day and a half in my head and then I spring it on somebody and their response I'm going to judge in 30 seconds yeah and that's really unfair i i need to find a time when it's not going to embarrass them if it's a potentially embarrassing when they have the opportunity to to respond and when I don't have to have an immediate answer right then so that they can have the same time to think and process that I have. I think that's a big part of the when and the how has got to be done kindly. Mm-hmm. It, sometimes it needs to be gentle. Sometimes it needs to be humorous. Sometimes it needs to be just blunt. Here it is. And that's going to vary based on the message that you're delivering and the person that you're delivering it to. and, how impactful it's going to be to them.
1: As I hear you talk, I just I hear at the heart of all of, of that is an absolute commitment to a care and generosity towards another person. Relationships got to be key. And that's a very common recurring theme as I talk to legislators in Oklahoma. Is I have found I've been far more successful after I've taken far more time than I thought I needed to take to build actual relationships with my colleagues, something to that effect.
0: I think that's very true. I think relationships are key and, and it's not just in the legislature. I mean, the same thing was true when I was in business, whether it was if I needed to go to a customer and give them bad news or, or tell them that we weren't going to be able to deliver on something that they wanted, or if I needed to approach a competitor or a mm-hmm. We were a pretty highly regulated industry. So if I had to have a conversation with a regulator, those things were much easier if I took a little time to develop that personal relationship. And it doesn't have to be a lifetime friendship, but just letting that person know that they matter and they're important to me. And so what I'm saying is not about them, but about the the issue that we're trying yeah. to resolve.
1: Yeah. A little while ago, you mentioned picking the issues, the areas of focus that really mattered to you and and those are the ones you're going to focus on. This is now your fourth session. This is. What are some of those for you? What are some of those issues, those things that you're focused on? Well, kind of back
0: to our conversation about how we have a wide variety of mm-hmm. backgrounds in the house uh or in the legislature, but particularly in the house, we we tend to find lanes that we run in. Uh, and 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 we'll stay kind of in those lanes. And you know, my background is in business and so I I do a fair amount of work on business development or this this session I'm going to be looking at taxation changes that help small businesses in Oklahoma, some that will help large businesses too, but particularly small businesses and, and, and grow those. My master's training is in mental health and, and counseling. So I, I, I care an awful lot about mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think particularly coming out of COVID, as we start to address the long-term impacts of what's happened over the last two years. Absolutely. Mental health yeah. is going to be a, a huge topic and a huge area that we have to look at. And then this session, I have a couple of bills that I'm really focused on. We We have an issue in our state that not many people like to talk about, but it's a large and growing issue, and we need to get on top of it, and that's human trafficking, mm-hmm. both labor trafficking and sex trafficking. When I say that and I'm talking to groups, everybody thinks about, you know, Liam Neeson with a particular set of skills and taken and and, and they think about the I-40, I-35 corridor and that's not the sex trafficking problem that we have in Oklahoma. It's homegrown. Mm. These are our daughters. These are our granddaughters. They're not being brought in from other countries or other states. These are Oklahoma born girls that are being trafficked by Oklahoma citizens Mm. and we have to get on top of that and I'm passionate about that this session and I don't want to hijack your no, podcast, no. but every time I get a chance to talk, I'm going to talk about that.
1: So often, people look at you as an elected leader, look at the legislature, look at the Capitol, and what you're doing, and we, we see the news blurbs, we see the the bills that are dropping, this, that, the other. Uh, that's why we have these conversations. There's so much more that goes into your approach and why and how you're tackling these issues, and hearing part of that story, to hear what you just said and what it is that has led you to this moment in which you're leading and serving and give some understanding to why you're approaching the issues you are. And I'm from Central Texas. I'm very familiar with the I-35 corridor. And so I do. When I hear about a real plague of trafficking in our world today, I think of that kind of interstate, international concept of trafficking and so I'm being educated and learning about the issue particularly in Oklahoma for you right now and thank you for doing that. You have served for now three full sessions. You serve on the team of presiding officers. You know it's the speaker's chair, but when Speaker McCall is in other meetings and, and elsewhere, there's a team of legislators that actually preside over the floor proceedings. I would think there's a lot of wisdom and leadership needed there because you're making calls, uh, calling balls and strikes, so to speak, as far as how things are playing out. What are some of the areas of leadership and some of the committee assignments, some of the things that you've been able to step into? Maybe talk a little bit about a day in the life is kind of like, but I'm also kind of interested now that you're a few uh, sessions under your belt. What are some of the things you're really proud of? Some of the accomplishments or whether it's a bill that's gotten across the the finish line to the governor's desk or, or some some initiative you've been able to work on.
0: Absolutely. So as far as opportunities that I have, I, I am on the presiding officer team, and that is, honestly, it's a lot of fun yeah. uh, because you do get to kind of manage the flow of the proceedings. Uh, we get a lot of help. I mean, you'll notice that the, the speaker that sets up there has – several people on each side and uh you know we have a parliamentarian and then we have the house clerk and they're both there so if you need smart people they're on either side of you right and and, but you just have to be good with a microphone to get in the middle chair um i i do the speaker's been very kind to me he allowed me to be chair of the government modernization uh and efficiency Mm -hmm. committee policy committee in the house we like to joke that one's the oxymoron committee but but (laughs) we really do try to find those good opportunities and we've had some Good bills come through there, and some we did some good work last session, and have some good bills coming through this session. I work on the Loft Oversight Committee. In fact, that's that's what I was doing just before I came over here. We we do uh, the Legislative Office of Financial Transparency. It, it, they do reports on different government activities. They'll deliver those reports to us, and then we we kind of choose which things to request and have them look at next. Uh, and then through the federal ARPA dollars that have come into the, the state, uh, there's a committee that's determining what we're going to do with those dollars. And I was placed on that one and then asked to lead, uh, co-chair one of the, the sub-working groups on that. Yeah. So uh, a lot going on there. Yeah. The, those have, the, the loft meetings and the, the ARPA team was fairly busy through the interim. So it was a pretty busy interim this session. I get to serve on the Banking, Financial Services, and Pensions Committee, and that that kind of hits me in my history. So that's a fun one to work on, particularly a lot of pension work on that one. So that yeah. one's interesting. And then Health and Human Services uh, on the A&B subcommittee for that, and then I'm on the full A&B committee. So I have a few different committees that yeah. I get to sit on and work on. Uh, you get to see a lot of bills, particularly on A&B, and that's interesting as far as accomplishments and, and bills that I've gotten done. Um,
1: or, or initiatives. I, I love to comment, you know, we also at Capital Culture, we have a legislative fellowship program of right. recent, recent high school graduates. And one of my great goals and points of pride with that program is fellows walk away from that experience uh, recognizing, you know, sometimes there is a policy solution that's needed, but sometimes there's not. And I love getting to interact with legislators when, you're not just here writing laws, writing policies. You're also working with agencies and different community groups and industries. And sometimes it's just an initiative or, or solution. So
0: absolutely. And, and and I, yeah, I like to say the the biggest wins are when you don't have to file a bill. Right. (laughs) Um, If, if, constituents will reach out and they may have difficulty with an agency or trying to get something done. And, and sometimes it's not even a state agency. Sometimes it's a municipal or a county thing that's going on. Uh, and, and just being able to make a phone call and reach out to people, because you do get, being up here, you get a, a fair number of contacts in your Rolodex. So, you know, nine times out of 10, it's just knowing who to call right. and get the right things done. Uh, those are the absolute wins, and those are constituent, private, so can't Kent yeah, sure, yeah. won't share it, but those, those are. You're absolutely right. Those are the big wins is when you can help somebody. Uh, I, I did have a bill last session, uh, I guess two bills I'd really like to talk about, kind of stay on it, uh, a mental health bill. We, we had a bill called Maria's Law uh, that basically says that when we teach health in our schools, we need to talk about mental health, and we need to talk about how mental health impacts you and impacts your physical health because it, mental health is kind of one of those taboo subjects. We we don't talk about it, and and there's a there's kind of a stigma around yeah. discussing it. And so, hopefully, by teaching good, sound mental health principles, of course, it's at an age-appropriate level. You're not going to go in and right. yeah. tr- get really in depth psychotherapy in kindergarten right but but i I, I,
1: I, I have the best therapy when i'm hanging out with kindergartners
0: they're pretty good at (laughs) it and then
1: i need some therapy when i'm done
0: (laughs) fair sorry i cut you off but at an age appropriate level helping them understand their feelings and helping them understand when they may need to seek help for feelings that are troubling for them and that i think that's important uh and that was that was one we passed in last session and went into effect
1: that's excellent
0: uh, and then Senator Weaver and I worked together to establish this human trafficking task force. And there will be some legislation that comes out of that. But I think the most satisfying part of that is we we pulled people into a room and we had law enforcement representatives from pretty much every law enforcement agency in the state, uh, including the the AG's office, who was a, a big supporter of the, the legislation. But then we also had... Victim Services Group. We had DHS, we had OJA, and the different groups that reach out within the state government to the victims of human trafficking. And then the next step beyond that, we brought in Dragonfly here in Oklahoma City and DVIS and the Spring out of the Tulsa area to bring in those folks who are kind of the boots on the ground in the non-governmental sector dealing with the victims of human trafficking. And it was a great conversation.
1: I want to be very mindful of your time. Appreciate the time you've been able to, to give. We're recording this on Thursday of week one of session. It's been a long day, been a long week, and I'm, I'm very grateful. One of the primary principles of the approach to promoting civility, integrity, servant leadership that Capital Culture takes is to really emphasize the importance of focusing on state and local leaders. Not that what happens in D.C. doesn't matter, but when you start focusing solely on national politics or national leaders, it gets it gets removed. the The issues get huge. The numbers get huge. What, you know, what is a two trillion dollar stimulus bill? What does that number even mean? The closer you get to home, a lot of those things that typically stall us in making meaningful dialogue and progress and working together, those things kind of start to fall apart kind of the closer you get to home. And so you've talked about some great work that you've done, some great things you've been part of, some accomplishments and things that, that you've been proud to, to see really happen. At a state and local level, I'm curious to hear as you're in the work every day, what are some of the obstacles to more of that happening? And what's some wisdom you would share for how we can get through it?
0: You know, I think the biggest obstacles on the national level are we focus on party and we focus on theory more than we focus on people. Yeah. And I, I think that's something, I think you described it well, at the national level, now our representatives and our senators, we'll see them, and, and at the state capitol, they're very good to come see us, but in, in, you know, they'll come into town and we'll see them from time to time at a town hall. But for the most part, what we know about national politics are talking heads on TV. right? It, it, even when they're representatives and senators, that's where we see them. We come to the state house and, and you walk in and it's people. And we go back into our hometowns and I can walk through my district and there's 38,000 people that I represent and I don't see all of them. But I go to dinner in the same restaurants that they do on, and, and I shop in the same grocery stores that they do and run through the same stop signs that they do. <laughs> um, but. They're people. And and if we can keep our focus on the people, kind of going back to what I talked about with my mom, right? Mom always focused on that person. I'm not talking to a concept that I disagree with. I'm not talking to a political ideology that I don't agree with. I'm talking to a person and they may hold beliefs or value things that differ from me, but they're still a person created by God, worthy of my respect Mm -hmm. and and my patience. And if we could get back to thinking about that, Mm -hmm. I think we could get an awful lot more done.
1: Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization Shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through non-political and non-partisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.